Today on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast, we have Web3's wizard with words, Jared Dicker, a partner at TCG, where he focuses on crypto investments that are enabling the consumerization of crypto. Jared's an expert at the intersection of crypto and NFTs in the media world. He's been both an entrepreneur and investor in the media world prior to joining TCG. There are also few people in the crypto space whose content I enjoy reading as much as Jared's. His tweets and writing on places like mirror.xyz, where he's an investor, are incredibly prescient and speaks to his knowledge of the crypto space. He joined TCG, a famed consumer investor that's invested in the likes of Twitter, Barstool, Crunchyroll, Hodinkee, Dapper Labs, Headspace, to build their crypto fund where they'll invest into companies and protocols that will create the on-ramp for consumers to the crypto economy. They've already invested in the likes of Zed, Ron, and Dapper, and Jared's thought leadership and experience in the media and content worlds should help them continue that type of success. Prior to joining TCG, he was the CEO of Poet, a decentralized media tech company, where he was a pioneer in bringing blockchain to the media and advertising space. He also formerly led innovation and new ventures at the Washington Post, where he was responsible for building out their research, experimentation, and development team, and running all their innovation and commercialization efforts as BP of Commercial. He also held similar roles at Rebel Muse, Time, and Huffington Post. Jared's one of the most thoughtful thinkers on how Web3 will change content, content creation, and creators' relationships with their community. I'm excited to see how he builds out TCG and the types of investments he'll make into infrastructure, building out Web3 so that crypto can truly go mainstream. And that's really a lot of what we talked about today in terms of the transition to the Web3 world. We covered whether or not everyone is now an investor and everything is now investable and how social credentialism and the idea of time as an investment is a key to Web3. We ended with some of Jared's famed Web2, Web3 tweets because he truly is a wizard with words and is a translator for the world of Web3. Jared, welcome to the Alpha's Mainstream Podcast. Thanks for having me. Psyched to be here. Awesome. It's, it's great to have you. I mean, somebody who has a background building in the crypto and blockchain space well before it went mainstream. You've spent time in traditional media. You're now investing into all sorts of companies, both in media and beyond that, around the consumerization of crypto. Let's just get right to it. would love to hear your background and your journey into the world. Yeah, one, really happy to be here. As you mentioned, I've been able to cut my teeth in this space in and out and now find myself back in it at an incredible time. Quick background on me. I've spent about a decade interchangeably within media, tech, and blockchain. Earliest days at the Huffington Post when we were a blog through the acquisition of AOL. I was on the founding team of a company called Rebel Mouse, which aimed to create new creator tools for mainly back then media companies looking to uh, take advantage of socials, brands like the Dodo and Axios and others that we're familiar with today. 
when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, I was recruited to go there to focus on the engineering side, R&D, and new ventures. We actually created, not many know, but two software as a service businesses under that umbrella. One is now known as ArcXP, which licenses creator and commercial software to brands, publishers, everyone's. I think there's about 2,000 clients there as well as Zeus, which was more commercial software. That's where I really started to dive a lot more deeper on the technical side of blockchain. Anyone remembers back in 2016, 2017, when Trump came into office, there were a lot of challenges, I'd say, and very interesting obstacles happening within the news business. One was this idea of fake news and and deep fakes and whether, you know, what you were consuming was actually what you intended to consume, i.e. like a supply chain of information. And two was this idea that a lot of media models were starting to move from advertising to subscriptions. The whole philosophy was that great journalism and content was worth paying for, but you really had to start to train people to pay for something, which previously was free by way of advertising. That's where I went down the rabbit hole, for lack of a better term, on blockchain and really started to see value in having the process of NFTs and digital digital IP ownership on chain being a process of all creative works. It helps with seeing provenance of information, supply chain of information. I was the founding CEO of a protocol called Poet, spent a couple of years doing that. Then over the last year, started to get a lot more into investing. I write a blog called Dark Star on Mirror, found myself gravitating more and more towards Web3, both on the consumer creator and investment side, and joined up with the amazing folks at TCG to lead the crypto efforts, both early stage and later stage, as we really try to differentiate and put value add on the promise of consumer and distribution and brand content, all of the above. So you mentioned a number of themes that are core to crypto, ownership, provenance, creators, media, all of those themes are wrapped in crypto in some way, shape or form. What was that aha moment for you where it's like, wow, crypto web three, the core tenets of this really make sense. And that's why I have to spend my time doing this. I always abide by the idea that stories are as important as the products. Having a background in journalism and being a, I'd say now I'm not too old, but a lifetime writer has really always enabled me to see the value of creating narratives and building products within those narratives. What we've seen through the evolution of terminology of crypto to blockchain to Web3, even though I believe they're all the same thing, there's really these new stories and narratives that builders and consumers really start to align with. And this kind of adoption of the idea of Web3 has really been truly phenomenal to watch. I feel that Web3 has really transcended this idea of just decentralization, just cryptocurrencies, just blockchain technology, to really think about what investing relationships and consumer relationships start to look like across a variety of industries. For me, it started to become very obvious on the media side, having a background in media and starting to understand what blockchain as a database does that other sorts of cloud structures and databases can't do. started to open up a more liberating point of view as to how we can build out of things. Anyone who's built in the media business knows that it's a highly reactive business. You're either fighting against the challenges of new technology or the duopoly like Facebook and Google are coming at your business. Like You're constantly on the defense. What Web3 started to unlock both in terms of where it was as an existing industry, which is somewhat new and not mainly dominated by the existing incumbents of the tech media space, as well as the stories that you could tie to it was where I started to dig in. I think 
like through this conversation and just work that I've done in general, I tie a lot to it to media. I don't try to limit or confine opportunities to be associated with just media. But I think when you think about how information is distributed and consumed, that is impactful and directional for all elements of industry, whether that's financial or technical or so forth. For me, it is understanding what media looks like and how to take those learnings and logic and make those applicable for other industries. Let's do exactly that because you've done a great job of deconstructing what Web3 means and the essence of what it means to consumers. You do this on Twitter, Web2, Web3, and you've done some great things around that. So I want to deconstruct some of these big themes in crypto that you've talked about and have you explain one, what a real world example is with it, and two, why it's represented such a profound shift. These are actually your words. One, consumers are spectators. Two, consumers become decision makers. What does that mean? So very, very amazing challenge to explain my Galaxy tweets right now, but I'll go for it. So yes, I do love to draw parallels between Web 2 and Web 3 because I find that for many folks, it's been the easiest way to kind of understand like where we are and where we could be going, even if it's just done within a small amount of characters. On the consumers or spectator side, I mean... The relationship with audience and customers, especially on the internet over the past 25 years, has really been very much one way. If you are um, a consumer of something, you're either trading that experience with attention by way of advertising or you're trading it uh, with your wallet by way of subscriptions. But there really is no strong retention mechanism and relationship there besides just content itself. You're paying for a service, that service is delivered. Once it stops being delivered, it's very hard to convince me as a consumer to continue engaging. There's a lot of focus on the programming side and a lot of emphasis on the creator side to continue delivering that service in order to get that exchange. In Web3, that relationship changes. You're not just um, paying with time attention or your wallet in exchange for a service, but you're actually, in fact, investing in it as well. And that's both social and financial, like socially investing the ability to be into something early, be a part of a community, have say in how products or deliveries effectively are constructed. On the investment side, that's the massive unlock that we're seeing by way of NFTs or social tokens where, you know, consumers of a product and participants of a product could be rewarded for being early or spending time in order to strengthen that ecosystem. We're really seeing an entirely new unlock for consumer experiences for those that want to dig into that. And I think that part is important, which we'll go into, because I don't think it's for everybody, but I think it's for a particular few that want more. So is that in the world of media and writing, like the difference between consuming content on Medium or Substack and actually buying somebody's writing like actually people could buy your writing on mirror with your dark star dark star doubt they could actually invest eth into your writing and support you as a writer or a creator so is that the web 2 to web 3 shift yeah uh, so I think that's exactly right. To even make it simpler, if you look at writing as the example, I wrote a post called Why Subscribe When You Can Invest? Because personally, I was finding myself subscribing to a ton of substacks, getting the newsletters, and oftentimes I'd read maybe 1% of them. But I wanted to subscribe to them. And why did I want to subscribe to them? Because I wanted to have access to that content, but I also wanted to support those writers, both personally and around the topics that they were creating. I wanted them to continue to be able to create that content because I felt that it was important to have that content and point of view out there. But that's the main sentiments personally for me, subscribing to newsletters and, you know, 
paying money in order to support these writers. Why can't it go a step further? If I really am subscribing because I want to invest um, in that individual, invest in their content, hopefully drive value and upside with that investment as well, then why aren't we building products that help satisfy that? In the case of like a Substack, you would traditionally subscribe in exchange for content. In the case of a mirror, you now have the opportunity to invest at the earliest stages of a publication in exchange for tokens or NFTs. So you effectively have ownership in that. You now have coordination through DAO structures where not only am I just a consumer of content and my engagement is relegated to the comment section, but now I'm part of a DAO construction within a Discord where I can have active conversations. New businesses could be built out of that. New ideas could be built out of that. So it really is leaning on one very key point for media subscriptions, which is I believe that subscribers want a lot more, but they're very much limited to what they could do because of what creators are offering. And Web3 really unlocks the ability for creators to offer more. So just to play devil's advocate, though, in the Web2 example, you are subscribing to somebody's newsletter. You're paying them. Now, you're not getting any ownership in exchange for that as a consumer of that content, but you are effectively investing into that creator. You're giving them a subscription that's enabling them to do their business. Now, what makes Web3 so different about that? I'm just trying to understand for those who maybe are not quite sure what the value would be of participating in a DAO structure or buying an NFT that a writer or musician creates? The main difference is, and I think that this is important to hit on because I think oftentimes in Web 2, Web 3 arguments, Web 3 tries to take on a lot more and the arguments get somewhat diluted. But the main interest and differentiation here is really financial to the point that you're making. Like you can subscribe to the Washington Post or subscribe to Netflix or subscribe to Spotify. And for all of those different relationships, you get a service. And I think, you know, the argument for like a Spotify and a Netflix and a Washington Post could be very different, but the exchange is the same. You're getting unique pieces of content and programming in exchange for what you're paying for, which will continue. People in Web3 want to be investors. Whether that discussion diverges attention from that main point or not, that's the truth, is that people want to be financially and socially deeper invested in these platforms and these content creators than they're currently getting today. And the reason for that is that they believe that by being more deeply invested, the assets that they own and accrue have, you know, opportunity for more upside. They have the opportunity for more kind of influence on the content that is being created. But even more simply right now, and not to use buzz terms like fungible and non-fungible, but my subscription to the Washington Post is the same as any other, you know, individual subscription. We have an email, we subscribe, we get content. That's basically rented on the internet. Once I decide to change my credit card or unsubscribe, that relationship is over. There's really no deeper relationship than that decision to subscribe for that content. On the Web3 side, when you invest in, in exchange, you get a subscription and that subscription in itself holds value that you own, well, there's a ton of things that could come out of that. There's the benefits of the membership that that publication may create that you unlock, but even more so, maybe the Washington Post decides to only give 1,000 exclusive NFT memberships to their top fans. Those members pay $500 each for that membership. All of a sudden, the Washington Post invests so much money and time to give value to those 1,000 um, members that 
the demand for that subscription now goes from 500 to 5,000 to 50,000. And it's up to that subscriber who owns that membership, what they want to do with it, whether they want to keep it, whether they want to sell it. So the responsibilities, even outside of the upside, really start to shift from really purely being managed by the brand or the publisher itself to now really giving the community the opportunity to make better decisions with you know their investments. So when I listen to you say this, three takeaways come to mind. I want us to break each of these down. One is that everyone can now become an investor. And I'll get to that in a second, because it does not just mean financially an investor, it can also mean with their time. Two is that everything becomes investable, because everything becomes an asset. And then three is, investment is just not a matter of investing capital and getting a return on investment in dollars or crypto assets, but it's actually also an investment of time. And you've thought about this a lot in the play to earn and learn to earn gaming spaces, that investing is also about investing time. If people are investing time into being a part of that Washington Post NFT or DAO, they may accrue benefits from that that are monetary and non-monetary. So walk me through what those three takeaways that I took from what you said really mean in terms of the value of crypto, of NFTs, and how that all ties together with connecting creators to the consumer and making everybody feel like owners. To take all of those three things and give a single answer, I think there's two sides to the argument there. One is to your point that everything becomes investable. I think there's both a very dystopian viewpoint and utopian viewpoint of that, depending on who you speak to. I do think that is one of the major unlocks of what we're seeing with Web3 and why I do believe that Web3 isn't necessarily binary with Web2 in that everything should be replaced by these mindsets and these functions, but it's an evolution of. I think we have seen interest from both consumers and creators to have a deeper, more investable relationship with one another. And I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think if you look at like Zed Run, for example, maybe everyone doesn't want to purchase a racehorse, breed that racehorse, and race that in exchange for upside. But there are many people that are gamers or sports enthusiasts or are fans of horse racing that know that they'd never get the opportunity to purchase an actual racehorse, let alone have the ability to participate in races and get to the tracks, all things that are confined by both physical wealth and location, and then also be able to participate in things 24-7. But there's a massive audience that wants to do that. And that's where I think when it comes to everything becoming a financial asset, the non-dystopian viewpoint is that that has been something that's been very interesting for you know individuals and participants to do for a while. And now we're starting to navigate and find out what pockets of interest we could unlock to do that. And that is all basically due to the fact that NFTs are, in fact, extremely revolutionary innovations on the internet. For the past 25, 30 years, we've trained all of our internet experiences and business models to basically assume that anything published online could instantly be replicated, misused, reused, but effectively it's public domain. That's why advertising has become a massive business because everything on the internet is a chase for eyeballs and you have to you know, monetize those eyeballs because if you create content online, it could be reused or misused. If you create music online, it could be reused or misused. There was no way to prove ownership or scarcity of digital assets. Now, all of a sudden you can. That's really started to unlock this idea of what could be invested in and how people could participate and engage a lot further. On the social side, 
which I think is a major point. Well, now all of a sudden your behaviors online could build your individual credentialism and how you could unlock and leverage that. Right now we're at a point with that where a lot of that focus is financial. The people that could invest in the right projects or get into the right DAOs or have the opportunity to purchase the best piece of NFT art is really tied to the amount of ETH or Solana or things that you have in your wallet. And I think we really need to move past that if we want Web3 to be as successful as it can. Because if we are creating a world where it's really all about how much individual cryptocurrency you could accumulate in order to get into the best deals and the best experiences, then we are no different than where we currently are. But online behaviors and social interactions that build credentialism are starting to be a lot more interesting, like where you participate, how you contribute, the projects that you're a part of, the skills that you've accrued. As that starts to become something that is more accrued on chain, then social capital really starts to be a massive opportunity for people to introduce themselves and engage within projects that I think really starts to blow the hat off this thing. So to your point, I think when you talk about investing and you know how revolutionary that could be where individuals can now invest in their favorite creators or platforms yes that is somewhat financial and right now a lot of emphasis is on financial but the social side is completely going to blow the head off of how we've thought about how these things work and i think that's going to be like the app store type moment where we thought mobile was going to be one thing and then all of a sudden we saw what mobile native really is i think the social side of on-chain credentialism is going to be a very similar moment for how we look at blockchain when you say the social side of on-chain credentials and the kind of quote unquote proof of work that people have that they're doing on chain what does that actually mean what does that look like Who's the arbiter of what value is? And then how does that value end up showing itself in a Web3 world? And what does that mean for those who are actually building those credentials? A big part of Web3 that is under-discussed that I think will start to get more attention in overall discourse is how the future of work as related to blockchain really needs to start to recruit and attract an entirely new kind of skill set and labor force that doesn't currently exist. If blockchains are really focused on consensus and if, you know, DAOs only work if people contribute and spend time and attention or protocols can only make decision if miners or other people driving consensus are incentivized to do so. Well, how do we start to bring that workforce online? Because right now it's not really there and we have more companies being created that if they are focused on decentralization, require this sort of contribution and time from it. But individuals need to build that skill set. They need to learn. They need to want to move their time and you know labor over from what they're currently doing into this world. And there's a lot of work that needs to go into that. When you ask questions about what social credentialism looks like, I think it is interesting to focus that conversation around the future of work. Play to Earn is a great example. Let's look at Axie Infinity and let's look at the gaming guilds like YGG and like Ready Player Now. We talk about these things like games because they are games. Play to Earn games, for those that aren't familiar, are games where you purchase an asset in order to contribute and play within the game and then you have the opportunity to earn upside. The guilds associated with these games are for people that can't afford to buy the asset in order to play the game. So these guilds lend those assets to gamers where they effectively earn back that loan. And then there's a relationship of future earnings going back to the guilds. 
But when you think about it beyond just what superficially that means, which is, oh, people are just playing games in order to make money. Well, you're starting to create this entire skill set around people who deeply understand play to earn games, who may have mastered Axie Infinity and now have gone to Zed Run and have gone to other games across the ecosystem and are becoming leveled experts. What they're able to do as it relates to social credentialism, because everything is online, well, now all of a sudden Jared Dicker, who is an expert in Axie Infinity and an expert in Zed and an expert in other games, now becomes insanely attractive to all of these new emerging play to earn platforms that are looking for people who deeply understand and can play the game. So that social credentialism actually starts to build a lot of value associated to individuals when it comes to new platforms coming on the scene that are looking for expert gamers and expert players. And when you go beyond, right, think beyond just like gaming and what that means for play to earn, but you look at emerging protocols that are looking for consensus workers that are going to be experts or different areas of maybe like NFT collectors or DAO participants where new DAOs are emerging, but you want to find people who understand how DAOs work can maneuver them. As you start to build that online or online and on chain, it starts to become an insane recruiting tool for the future of work where people are going to try to find the best at what they're doing and they're going to pay people for that and try to recruit for that. How helpful is it to think about Web 2 corollaries or examples like when you say, okay, there needs to be some sort of social credentialism or somebody's resume online to be able to have gaming platforms find the next Jared Dicker who's amazing at these play to earn games because he's earned this much money, played this many games, done this many things in those games, has this many assets in the games. Is it helpful to think of it like as you're building Web3, what's the LinkedIn for Web3? Is it helpful to take those Web2 comparisons and port them over to Web3 or are things so different that you really should just think about re-architecting things without having the kind of Web2 mentality? I definitely subscribe to trying to avoid the skeuomorphism of, you know, the Spotify of Web3 or the Netflix of Web3 or the Facebook of Web3, even though some may disagree with this, but I do believe that there are certain applications and examples where it does become an interesting conversation to have. I, at least from my investment point of view and how we're thinking about at TCG Web3 in general, I think this is the arena for the active consumer. The protocols and platforms that are looking to attract people who want to spend more time, want to invest money. And like more time, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir with you because you know this, but people who aren't familiar with Web3 communities and and ecosystems, it's a 24-7 sport. You can't spend enough time in these discords or in any of these environments and avoid feeling FOMO. No matter what, you're going to be missing out on things. But I do think that it is important to understand that it is for particular people and the active consumers. And for the passive consumers, it's really hard to argue against some of these existing platforms. Like me as a massive music fan who loves Spotify, it's hard to argue that we should move a Spotify experience over to Web3. All the music in my pocket for 10 to $12 with insane music discovery and playlist discovery is an amazing consumer experience, accelerating even more so, same with Netflix and otherwise. It is worth it to look at some Web2 platforms, but under the lens of what is an interesting play where people would want to be more active, where they would want to spend more time? Music, for example, is like, I'm a 
super fan of a lot of different artists. I'd love to figure out how I could have a better connection with those artists that give me unlocks that I can't have today. Like, how could I get early ticketing or see a sound check or be a producer of my favorite artist's new music video or things like that? So I think it's like good to check with the existing platforms, but under the notion of active consumer is the massive unlock. Things are definitely going to move, whether that's through future of work like LinkedIn and connections or music or any sort of entertainment. Well, it's not lost on me that the shirt you're wearing today says support live music. So (laughs) (laughs) it says hire live musicians. But here's the thing, right? And this is something that I disagree with in the Web3 community sometimes. Not everyone says this, but there's a lot of assumptions on the music side. I don't think there's anyone that thinks that artists shouldn't be paid more. I don't understand a lot of the straw man arguments that happen in crypto where it's like people are against artists getting paid more. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. I think that it's a difficult challenge to work through that requires a lot of brain power and understanding to do so. But one thing that I highly disagree with on the music side in Web3 is that people are saying artists are forced to perform live in order to make money. You ask any fan, like deep fan, what they want to pay for, it's experiences. And artists know that. All the bands that I see tour constantly. They make a lot of money doing it. There's a lot of experiences and businesses that are built out of that. I find that some of these arguments need to be distilled and need to be more deeply understood. I don't think you're going to speak to any musician or any fan that feels that it's unfortunate that you have to go see a band live, especially in COVID. Everyone's dying to get out. So (laughs) that's my rant. Yeah, you bring up something which is really important, which is the everyday consumer. And then how can they interact with Web3? That's something that you really focus on, which is the consumerization of crypto. We've seen consumerization happen various points over the course of the internet, onboarding users into just doing things like using email or social network or interacting with the media or becoming their own media like Twitter. Now we're seeing that happen in Web3. You bring up music as one example. What in your mind will it take to get the next 100 million to billion users on ramp to crypto? And what will be those initial use cases? Will it be music? Will it be through NFTs, investing, DAOs? What in your mind is going to bring the next, bring actually, to use your words, America on chain? Yeah. Um, I think it needs to be hyper-focused and delicately done. I don't think there's just a magic industry or area that's going to be the most obvious one that's unlocked. One theme that I have enjoyed talking about as it comes to consumers getting more deeply interested in Web3 is this idea of what industries and interests, I'd say, because it's not even as macro as an industry, but it could be as micro as interests don't currently have a lot of headwinds and resistance online where a foundational ecosystem could be built. We look at the NFT market and digital art. The foundation of digital art online was basically nothing. Creators had the opportunity to create things and maybe sell them as like contract work or put something that be scraped by Google Images or maybe on Instagram or Pinterest, but effectively do it for free in exchange for getting community following. Digital art entered the NFT market with a boom because there really were no headwinds. And Web3 foundationally constructed this way where artists could be paid. There was a direct value attribution with what consumers were getting, where there was actually value in the asset. There was investment in communities and the ability to connect more people together. There's been amazing things around like the composability of IP, like we've seen with Borde Jakob, but it is effectively created and designed natively as Web3 because the headwinds weren't there. 
In music, I think there's an argument to be made where there's a lot of headwinds, there's a lot of resistance. In certain areas, there's not. In other areas, but I don't think it could follow the same kind of roadmap and and process flow as digital art has because I think it's different. Now, you look at like photography or dance or other high interest groups where there are consumers and people go to see things physically that don't have much headwinds or resistance that I think will take off too. So that's one area, which is where is there a lot of passion, a lot of community focus that would thrive online, even if niche? And we've learned that niche communities thrive online once there's programming and and juice provided to them. That's one area that I think will explode. I think digital art, I think Top Shots did that, digital art did that. It'll move over to photography. It'll move over to dance and other sorts of art. But those will be new people coming in here. The gaming side is an obvious one, but I think a lot of companies are focused on this now, but it's really like how you make games more fun. We're seeing a future of work type arena where people are doing this in order to make a living. That is bringing a lot of people online. Once you start to nail the gaming community and figure out how to make more assets interoperable or the ability to have ownership in gaming, people will become more accustomed and interested in it. A summarized answer of this and why I said I don't think it could be like pocketed within a single industry is that going back to what I said about NFTs being revolutionary, that can't be overstated where Digital ownership online is completely new to every single pocket and every business, whether it's being created completely anew or is retroactively thinking about what their digital presence looks like and what ownership looks like attributed to it and how that value chain moves in between users. That is a complete open frontier wild west of opportunity where I think we'll be quite surprised where we see those pockets start to emerge most. Do you believe that consumers are going to need to learn how to interact with Web3, do things like get a MetaMask or a Rainbow Wallet or a Phantom Wallet if they want to interact with the Solana ecosystem and use crypto as a value exchange to buy NFTs, things like that? Or do you think that it's just going to be the type of thing where the mass consumer will just want to operate the current normal world, not even know that there's necessarily crypto or blockchain underlying it, but that they can still interact with that world. I think that it's very important for consumers to put in the work and understand the functions and the benefits of a lot of these Web3 protocols and tools. I equate it with going to the gym, something I wish I did a lot more of if I wasn't so deeply entrenched in crypto, but it's like going to the gym. The more you work you put in, the more value you get out, especially in the NFT market. You hear people who have gone deep trying to recruit others to go deep, really encourage them to like read, listen to podcasts, sign up for a wallet, because I do think that it's important. The muscle memory and the function and the ability to want to go in really allows you to benefit it more. Now, that being said, to contradict that, I do think that it is important that as more consumer experiences are being built, the emphasis of value isn't just purely attributed to what blockchain could do outside of what the consumer experience really unlocks. You look at like Spotify, for example. I use Spotify. I get all the music I want in my pocket. I could do offline syncing. I could create a playlist. I really don't know where it's hosted. I don't know what the data relationships are. The emphasis isn't there. My answer is the same in both examples, which is I think it's very important for consumers to understand what they're working with and go through that because it's valuable. A user experience and value point of view, while that should be emphasized, products should be built 
you know, for consumers that aren't just anchoring their value to those things. There has to be things that are a lot bigger built on top of those functions that drive that consumer interest beyond just it being on blockchain. I second your point that people should definitely listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so I, I want to get to some of the kind of web two, web three things you've done. You have created so many of these incredible distillations of the difference between Web 2, Web 3. I'm hoping that somebody creates the almanac of Jared Dicker, just like they did with the almanac of Naval. We'll have to get there at some point, but I'm going to give you my two, two of my favorites. I want you to give the world some of your favorites as well. My two favorites I picked out, one is Web 2 going viral, Web 3 getting tribal. That is one of my favorites. I think that's one that Naval actually retweeted. That might have been the only one that Naval actually engaged with. But that was the moment because I was doing a lot of these. I'd say I started in the beginning of this year. So much so that I think I was doing like Web 2.0, Web 3.0 and just moved it over to Web 2, Web 3. But that was the moment that I realized that this thing was really clicking, even though it goes outside my preferred format, which I'll explain to you after. That was the moment that I realized I need to keep doing these things because people are actually clicking and being interested in them. Well, you're on a Web 2 platform. Yes, you were going viral because other people have started copying it. The other thing is you're getting tribal because you're also creating a community. But that's the power of this too. That's why I love this Web 2, Web 3 tweet so much was because crypto really is about community in many respects. And that's such an important piece of it. Similarly, my other favorite one was Web 2, you are the product. So platforms are extracting value from you as the consumer in one way or another, either monetarily or with your data. Web 3, you are the platform. And that ties in with community as well. Yeah, Something that I've always been personally interested in throughout my career, and I've written about it back in pre-Poet 2017, 2018 even, was this business of the individual. Especially working within media, you see the value of individual contributors, not just on like the byline creator level, but from the editor level and the design level. I've always been hyper-focused on how you start to build businesses around those individual contributions. And we talk about what is the value of Web3? What difference does it really bring? You think about really being able to have credentials of individual contributions, building new collaborations and value and really attributing that more to individuals, not just creator economy byline side, but other contributor side. And it's extremely powerful. I'm happy you didn't pick my favorite one. Okay, let's hear it. So the one that went the most viral is, and this is the style that I like. Usually, if I can nail it, and it's hard, I've done a few of these, and I'll try to find them. But I use the same words in both. So they're basically like, they have completely different meanings. But the words are the same and they're interchangeable, which, you know, I got my BA in English literature and I love and like poetry. And that was like my favorite stuff. So that's why I bring with this. So my favorite one is Web 2, buy things online, Web 3, buy online things. And people loved that one. I don't know why, but that was like the one, I guess because it's tied to NFTs and other things like that. But yes, you used to buy things online and now you're actually buying online things. I think that one did 10 to 15,000. 
It was something absurd. What do you? Th- what were you trying to get across with that tweet? The thing that I was trying to get across there was that when we bought e-commerce and bought things online, effectively online was a store. You purchase physical goods online. Now all of a sudden you're purchasing online goods, which there may be some caveat examples of where that currently exists, but anyone who's spending the billion dollars a month on OpenSea or other sorts of NFT platforms like Top Shots or Zed, they're not buying physical goods. They're buying digital goods. Web3 is really accelerated that and has drawn a lot of attention to people really attributing value to digital goods. So that was the main driver. People used to buy things online for physical goods. Now they're buying things online for digital goods. And to tie it back to what you said earlier, if people are going to get social credentials online, the online things they're buying will show up in their PFP, in the communities that they're a part of, on their OpenSea page, on their Rainbow Wallet wherever they have those online things. And that's going to be the some of the credentialism that will enable them to unlock certain things in the online world. Yeah, exactly. I think we're in the early days of that. And that to me um, is very exciting personally. Like when we first launched Poet and there was a company, Civil back in the day that was thinking about this too, which was really like, what it looks like for individual creators to accrue reputation. And back then, the sell for blockchain was pretty simple. It was like when Gawker effectively went down and all of these writers lost their archives. It was you create on this platform and you create for this thing and it's hosted on the cloud. And once the domain goes away, all your work is gone. And the idea was, oh, well, blockchain solves for that. If all your content is minted on chain, then you effectively have on Ethereum a proof of record of all of the content and what that content includes. Like now we're like, even though it's only been three or four years, we're exponentially ahead there where individuals are thinking about not just the content that they create, but the communities they're within, what they've bought and collected. And that I think will continue to accrue reputation. You effectively have like a clout 2.0, but instead of clout being a marketing game where you're just working to try to get as many followers as possible, hopefully, big, big, big hopefully here, Web3 is really less about how you market and more about what you do and how you contribute. I want to end, which I do with every, every podcast is, what is your favorite or most interesting alternative investment? And maybe it's online, some sort of online thing. <laughs> I mean, my favorite, alter- I'm very deep in NFTs. I was early with Bored Apes. I'm a crypto punk holder. I love projects like Loot and I still hold Loot and Blitmap and others. I'm hyper fascinated with investment in those assets. I think probably that's been the right decision so far. What I would say is like, what I'm most looking forward to with investments in those assets is really how creativity compounds on top of that. What we're seeing with Bored Apes is just the early stages of how investing in NFTs really blossoms. Like Bored Apes and Loot are very similar in the fact that they effectively put IP or an idea out there and then owners of these assets are effectively free of use commercially to do what they want with them. So Board 8 Yacht Club is Jenkins the Valet. Loot, there's a ton of examples of things that were built on top. And I think that that's a very interesting arena for investors where previously you you know invested in assets or stocks or even tokens in the crypto community with hopes of what the project was going to build and what future applications will be and how they'll acquire users and what they'll do. And now you're effectively moving the promise of the asset over to 
those buyers themselves, where you give people the keys to really build on top of, you know, this existing foundation and structure that was built by the original company. So for me, that's going to be insanely exciting to watch in a variety of areas. So it sounds like you're going to continue to buy online things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very into it. Correct. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jared, Web3's wizard with words. It was a pleasure to have you on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Thank you so much. I had a blast. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing it live. Same here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alco's Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites. And you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com. And follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Stigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot and have a great day. We're going there.